0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Author Tim Harford says it's fun to punctuate myths or expose baseless theories, but it's far more useful to help people track down the truth. And in a world where statistics matter more than ever, finding the signal in the noise is often quite difficult. His new book is The Data Detective, 10 Easy Rules to Make Sense of Statistics. We spoke last week. You tell a story in your book about Irving Fisher. Why does he figure so prominently uh, in your book?
1: Why? I mean, Irving Fisher was an amazing man, remarkable individual. Uh, he was also ruined by the failure of his economic forecast. And I think perhaps more importantly, not just that his economic forecast failed, because let's be honest, who who among us has not made an economic forecast that's failed um, but because he was so slow to change his mind he absolutely clung on to what he believed to the strength of his convictions and which in some ways is admirable but sadly the strength of his convictions were that the very peak of the market late 1929 was in fact a sustainable plateau and the more the market fell the more he saw it as a buying opportunity, and he just borrowed more and invested more and kept finding ways to believe that the crash wasn't real. And in the end, it ruined him. And I was fascinated by this story of a man who's so smart, in many ways so admirable, so interested in the data, and yet somehow not able to, to back out of the corner that he
0: had got himself into so one one of the the key points that you make in this book is that uh, when we're confronted with data, that especially surprising data, and that's why why I look too deeply at data that is not at all surprising. Um, but uh, when we when we're confronted with that kind of data, uh, we need to temper that at least a little bit with what we understand and know to be true, or at least uh, make it fit somehow.
1: Yes I I was thinking of a, an experience I had visiting China a couple of years ago and I know China, the story of China's economic growth through the data I've looked at the GDP statistics and the statistics on electricity consumption and the amount of concrete that's been poured so I know that this is the most extraordinary story of economic growth but I didn't feel it viscerally until I walked across the border from Hong Kong into Shenzhen and then got on a, a bullet train and traveled for mile after mile after mile through these vistas of, of concrete and the skyscrapers and was just co- completely overwhelmed by the scale of the development. And it made me realize that there's something that you only gain when you see it with your own eyes. There's the, I mean, what Hayek would have called the specific circumstances of time and place. But also, there is something that you can see only through the statistics. I don't want to dismiss the statistics or or say that 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 is a kind of fake knowledge. There's real knowledge that comes from the data, and there's also real knowledge that comes from personal experience. And it's a genuine challenge to try to combine the best of both, that really detailed, visceral, three-dimensional knowledge that you gain from seeing it with your own eyes, and the bird's-eye view that allows you to abstract away from your own narrow view of the world and take in everything. If you can get both of them, you're doing very
0: well. So when we uh, see statistics presented in public, what are the, some of the first steps we ought to take to try to understand them and judge whether or not uh, this information is being presented fairly or represents something true about the world? It's a
1: great question question. And and the entire book really is written as as an attempt to answer it. I give my 10 rules, but let me try and boil them down to three. So call it the three Cs. So calm, context, curiosity. So calm. The moment you see a headline, a surprising claim, something on Twitter, Facebook, first thing you should do is just say, how am I feeling about this? What do I instinctively think that's outrageous. I must share the news. Or that can't possibly be true. That's, that's the fake news media again. Whatever it is, whatever your emotional reaction is, really, really shapes how we view the world. And that's true for absolutely everybody. We're, you know, we humans are emotional beings. So the first C is be calm. Just notice what you're feeling and take the step of not fooling yourself. Second step, context. So there you start to say, where does this number come from? What is this number actually describing? Like, what is the definition? If we're measuring uh, maybe uh, infant mortality, or we're measuring gun deaths, what actually is being measured? Who who counted it, and what were they counting? Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it a big number? Can I maybe turn it into uh, deaths per hundred thousand people, or you know, the number of deaths um, per person, or the number, of the amount of um, money being spent per person? All of these questions give context. So, calm, context. And the third C is curiosity. And this is, I think, the most transformative thing of all. Just the sense of, I want to use this number as a window onto the world. I want to use this number to help me understand something rather than what is sadly the default in so many conversations these days. I want to use this number as a weapon. I'm going to win a political argument. I'm going to score a point. And sure, I mean, it's it's fine. It's legitimate to try to win a political argument. But if that's your first instinct, you're making yourself dumber rather than making yourself smarter. And that's
0: a shame. So calm, context, curiosity. So in in the sense of context, what are we actually measuring when we're purported to be uh, being given some piece of information? Uh, Statisticians use proxies all the time for things Mm -hmm. that might not be a great fit for what they're actually trying to get at. Absolutely, and we very easily
1: leap to conclusions as to what we think they've measured, and uh, and very often the statisticians they know exactly what they've measured, and they're not deliberately trying to mislead each other. But you know, they they assume it's perfectly obvious to everybody. Stephen Pinker uh, talks about the curse of knowledge. That if you already know exactly how this thing is measured you may not appreciate quite how confusing your definition is to everybody else. Uh, but just to give you a, a specific example, um, I often see statistics about self-harm. And you say, oh, goodness me, self-harm in students is really high. Students are engaged in self-harming behavior. And then you see a report that describes extreme examples of this. So suicide attempts, or really uh, serious, um, lasting injuries that, that young people are doing to themselves. And then when you you wind back and you look at the different definitions of self-harm, they also include I think, concerning but but relatively mild symptoms, so pinching yourself or pulling your hair or excessive exercise. And so it's one thing to attempt suicide, it's another thing to be exercising too much and and you know perhaps endangering your health in that way. but when we when we see the definite, We see this, the numbers on self-harm, and then we see the reporting of the most extreme and worrying examples. We can't help but put two and two together. And you see this kind of thing all the time.
0: Years ago, I heard uh, Eleanor Ostrom give a speech about some of her uh, field work when she was a young economist and she was sitting in a room in a police department just scribbling down statistics uh, on thefts. Uh, or uh, some some piece of information, and uh, a uh, either a department head or the the head of the police department came in and said uh, very loudly, I believe, uh, who has been writing up bicycle thefts for more than fifty dollars? We never have a bicycle theft for more than fifty dollars or whatever the, the the number was. And the the clear implication was that's grand theft. And we don't want that number to show up in our stats. We don't want uh, this number to be representative of the work that we are doing. And and I believe Ostrom's point was, there's reason often to be skeptical of official sources of information. What do you think of that?
1: Well, first of all, Lynn Ostrom is an amazing Scholar and, and the very first person I wrote to when I began as a writer, I wrote to her to ask for a copy of one of her papers nearly 20 years ago. And she wrote back with a wonderfully gracious reply, sending me a, a print copy of, of this work that she had done. I was so delighted when she won the Nobel Memorial Prize. Um, but the point she makes is, is a very important one. Uh, you've always had to look at the process that, that's generating the data. It will always be imperfect one way or another. It may be an algorithm. It may be an administrative process. So in this particular case, the police are writing down records uh, and they what they write down reflects on them and what they're allowing to happen. And so there's a deliberate incentive to distort what's going on. Um, or you could have completely uh, unimpeachable statisticians doing their, their absolute very best to put down the very, you know, the most informative data they can, but they're only using a very small sample. And so there are wide error bars. There are all sorts of different ways in which the data can mislead us. I think that's very important to remember. But that said, one of the messages I'm trying to get across in the book is not to let the skepticism, which is warranted, curdle into cynicism. Uh, it's very easy to get to a point where you just dismiss everything as, as nonsense. Everything is fake news. And then there are a lot of people who would love you, love people to be in that situation because then everyone's on an equal basis. No one needs any data. No one needs any evidence because it's all easily dismissible. So be skeptical, but don't be
0: cynical. That's a nice segue to uh, my next question. In, in 2020, we had at least two events that where there was a heavy reliance or can be a heavy reliance on statistics. That's the coronavirus pandemic and, of course, the American election uh, for president of 2020. And there are, I would say, probably millions of people who are prepared to dismiss almost any information that comes from the wrong source. Uh, do you think we can get those people back in terms of uh, appreciating Statistics for for what they are, and uh, at least respect that there that there clearly are limits, and it's not all in in many cases nonsense, as you uh, say that you know people believe. I think it's it's really tough. It's
1: very tough when something becomes politicized, because so I think we've seen that once it becomes a matter of political pride, once it becomes a matter of your your cultural identity like this is who i am and this is what i stand for uh if something gets dragged into that arena it's very difficult to drag it out again but I was very struck by research done by some academics at yale university about vaccines this is pre-covid but they found that people had very very different attitudes to the um Human papilloma virus vaccine and the hepatitis B vaccine, so HPV and HBV. The HBV vaccine, uh, hepatitis B. People would just take the advice of their doctor, but the human papilloma virus vaccine, they would basically take the, the advice of their congressman or the the talk show, the talk radio host, or or the you know whatever cable TV network they were they were uh, getting their news from. And so you had the Republican vaccine and the Democrat vaccine, or the Republican attitude to the vaccine and Democrat uh, attitude to the vaccine. And this wasn't uh, raw skepticism about science or medical advice or expertise or even vaccines. It's just one of these vaccines had become politicized and one hadn't. Very hard to resist once something gets pulled into that process because it then kills, remember what I said, calm, context, curiosity kills calm it kills context it kills curiosity suddenly people just want to win a fight so the more we can do to get people away from that and thinking instead about what is going on in the world being curious trying to understand the world around
0: them rather than trying to win an argument the better off we'll be so when when i'm presented with statistics one of the one of the first things that i try to think and i obviously fail at it on occasion is if this is true, what must also be true? and that is I, I suppose a sense uh, uh, similar to your notion of context that is I'm trying to make it fit um, and, and, and for people who just read the daily paper or read news on the internet, how are they supposed to how do they do that so i
1: I encourage people to ask whether their news sources are themselves following the three Cs. I don't have time to ask all these questions about context. I don't have time to launch some big investigation every time. But is the journalist that I'm receiving this information from, are are they helping me be calm or are they trying to wind me up? Are they giving me context? Are they telling me where the number came from? Are they giving me alternative interpretations? Are they explaining how it was derived, what the definitions are, whether it's going up or down. Are they giving me all of that? And are they helping me understand something about the world? If they are, then I've got some indication that I'm in safe hands, that I can trust the, the intermediary between me and the data. If they're not, if it's just some, I know, some graphics, some text that's been turned into a graphics file that's being shared on Facebook with some obscure source that just seems outrageous and I don't know anything about it, you've really got to start saying, hmm, Maybe this person who's circulating this doesn't really have my best interests at heart.
0: this book, in contrast with uh, some of the previous works, you're going at establishing things that are true, and uh, in previous work, uh, in some cases, you were saying're trying to puncture lies or puncture uh, misinformation. Um, I would say that that is
1: uh true of my radio works that's true of my books i think I think all of my books have been Constructive. have all. Been, I've looked at the history of technology. I've looked at. I've looked at the history of jazz and the speeches of Martin Luther King. I've uh, explored the way the economy works, and that's all driven by my curiosity. But there is a difference between that and my radio work. I have a long-running BBC radio show called More or Less, and that has been very focused on the statistics. And I think at times we have been lured into the trap of debunking. And the reason I say it's a trap is because it's very tempting as a geek, and I'm a proud geek, it's very tempting as a geek, as a statistician, as a numbers person. When you're looking for a way to make the subject interesting and exciting and engaging, well, what do you do? You look around for a politician who's messed it up, somebody who's lying, somebody who's made a mistake. That's where you go. You just have to think about the titles of all the great books that have been written about statistics. So there's uh, How to Lie with Statistics, perhaps the most famous of all, Ben Goldacre's book, uh, Bad Science. Look it over at my uh, my bookshelf. Uh, Daniel Levitin's book, Field Guide to Lies and Statistics. There's one called Post-Truth. There's there's, uh, Innumeracy by John Allen Paul. I can go on and on and on. Most of these are excellent books. And they're all emphasizing the lies, the disinformation, the ways things go wrong. And I just thought, there's something discomforting about this. Ultimately, we want to understand what's true. We only want to understand what's a lie to help us understand what's true. So at some point, we have to get away from the constant fact-checking and debunking and actually help people understand the world. And there is a, there is a danger in always focusing on the negative, that the message people take away is, ah, I don't need to look at the evidence, I don't need to look at the data, don't need to look at any of those graphs, because of course, it's all like a stage magician's trick. And that, I think, it would be a tragedy, because some of the most important discoveries in human history have come through the careful use of statistics. Uh, There are things that we find out about the world we can't know in any other way and through statistics. Not everything, but there's a lot that we need statistics to help us understand. And that's that's what I'm trying to do, trying to help people, among other things in this book, understand that statistics can be used to inform and not just
0: to lie to us. Tim Harford is author of The Data Detective, Ten Easy Rules to Make Sense of Statistics and, of course, other books. We spoke last week. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.